It's got a soul, this hero farm. It falls asleep inside my arms. We walk the fields under the stars. For love is here in Goldshaw Farms. Welcome to Goldshaw Farm. I'm your host, Morgan Gold. On each episode of our podcast, we bring you stories of people who are homesteading, farming, and chasing their dreams. And right now, I gotta say, it's been a minute. Sorry, guys. Life has gotten way too hectic and way too busy, Um, and and unfortunately, the podcast had to take a little bit of a backseat. But I'm back, and I will continue to put out episodes, even if they're semi-frequent. Um, but apologize for the absence. I've got a good one for you today. And so let's get right to it. So one of the reasons why I've actually been absent has been, I have this other side project going on right now. Um, I think as you guys know, I, uh, I work a full-time job. I also have this farm that I'm trying to start up and get going as a profitable financial enterprise. I produce a, a YouTube channel where we put out two videos a week about the farm um, and on top of all of that, uh, back earlier this year, uh, back in like February ish, I started writing a book. It's a book about, uh, my livestock guardian dog, Toby. It's a work of fiction, probably designed at kids, I don't know, between the ages of eight and 12. Um, and, and I've been working slowly, but surely chipping away, writing pages, I'm just about in the process of editing and revising that book now, um, all in the name of trying to get it out later this year. You know, it's weird, but for, for whatever reason, as for as long as I've dreamed about living on a farm in the middle of nowhere, I've also dreamed about writing a book while living on that farm in the middle of nowhere. I think there's something about a way of life where it's a combination of working with nature and producing stuff with your hands and then on the side in your spare time, working with your mind and producing something with your creativity that just, I don't know, I I find personally really, really appealing. Well, my, my guest today is someone who actually has also done that. Uh, Kirsten Lee Nielsen of Hostel Valley Farm up in Maine. Um, she's written a number of books, uh, and that's actually how I first found her. She, she wrote a great book about raising geese and I really enjoyed it. And so after reading it, I reached out to her. Um, and, and so in today's episode, we're sitting down with, with her and, and we're going to learn more about her, her farm and, and really why she's doing what she's doing and how she makes it all work and come together. My father's originally from Maine, but he lived away for a long time. And my mom is, is not from the state. Um, and they both came to Maine sort of on the tail end of the more back to the land movement of like the late sixties, early seventies. Um, so they both had farms. Um, my father had a, actually a fairly extensive farm with sheep and blueberry fields and sort of the whole deal. And my mom did more of the homesteading thing in the main woods for a long time, but that was for both of them in previous marriages. So by the time they met each other and had me, they were kind of over it. Um, they still definitely believed in like growing their own food and growing up we had chickens and we had a really extensive vegetable garden but my parents also uh you know it wasn't quite the homesteading ethos it was uh you know understand where your food comes from but you know also (laughs) we like going to town and things like that and um 
they would try to convince me to help with the garden. And I did once in a while, but I definitely required a lot of, of prodding. It was not my, my first, uh, my first passion. I did love the chickens. The chickens were mostly for me when I was a kid. So I definitely loved the chickens and always have loved animals, always have wanted to be involved in animals. But I also really wanted to kind of get out of Maine, to see the big city, to do other things. And um, I went away to college and I went to college still in, I went to Bennington College in Vermont, so still very rural, but most of my friends were from like New York City and stuff. So I had some of that exposure and uh, pretty quickly I realized just how nice it was growing up with the garden in the country. And um, it was a, you know, definitely a bit of a long road from there. It's not like I immediately moved moved back, but um, that was, you know, I definitely wanted to get away as a kid. And as soon as I did, I sort of realized what I was actually, you know, how special how I grew up was, what I was actually missing and wanted to get back to it. So, so, so you come to that realization and you're, I guess, living, you know, yeah, sort of Vermont, but, you know, Bennington's not rural, rural Vermont, um, <laughs> relatively speaking. I mean, I'm out in the Northeast yeah. Kingdom, so I'm like, yeah, different, yeah. Like nowhere. <laughs> right. Um, you know, how do you then kind of make that transition back to, you know, kind of up where you are in, in mm-hmm. central Maine? Yeah, I think uh, for quite a period of time, I was definitely – uh, a little lost. I moved back to Maine, but I was sort of not quite sure what I wanted to do, or more importantly, how I wanted to do it. And uh, when my husband and I first started dating, we went to Maine has a big open creamery day where you can go and tour the various creameries and see the cheese being made and also meet the animals and, and that whole thing. And I remember going on that with him and being like, this is kind of like what I want to do. <laughs> These people are, you know, giving me a little bit of inspiration. So we started talking about actually like, concretely farming uh, shortly thereafter, but it was definitely a a long, slow process that started with just our own garden. Um, And we got chickens and we got geese at the same time. And the geese were definitely a a big inspiration for us. Um, I think we probably would have ended up here even without the geese, but they kind of gave us a, a kick in the pants because they would actually sort of walk into the road and sit down and and things like that. They just weren't meant for like a suburban kind of farm. So um, they inspired us in our, we were already kind of looking for more land. They really inspired us to hurry up and find something. Um, And we looked for, I mean, we looked off and on for several years, but I'd say about a year, like really seriously visiting places. and we had a few criteria, but we also, you know, wanted to be open to, to what became available. And as soon as we looked at the property that we now live at, that was pretty much, I mean, we made an offer, maybe not that day, but certainly that week, we knew this was the place that we, we wanted to end up at. So when you're looking for a property like that and you're saying, hey, I want to find my kind of forever place, place a little bit away from it all that I can, you know, invest and take the time to build it up right. What's that criteria that you're looking for? Yes. So we knew we wanted uh, rural and private. um, And 
that uh, mostly was sort of geographical location for us. Um, we both are from Maine, so we knew it pretty well. So we knew what you know kind of areas in Maine would would give us that. Um, and we knew that we wanted a lot of land, uh, partially because of wanting more animals, wanting to grow crops, you know, farming on a, a slightly larger scale, um, but also because that adds to the general privacy. The more sort of land you have around you, the, the more you can kind of insulate. Um, and so we looked at a, a few different places but this one the main thing that set it apart was that in addition to that land and that rural setting uh it had a beautiful barn that was in really good condition that we could easily you know modify to suit our animals and we already had uh, we had goats arriving the coming spring and we already had all the birds so having something to put the animals into was was really important to us um on the sort of flip side of that, the house was in complete disrepair. There was no electricity, no running water. There was a three hole outhouse, you know, no sort of heating or anything. Um, we redid the house two summers ago now, and that was, uh, uh, you know, the first time we've really had any of those luxuries. Um, and that I think illustrates the kind of compromise where, so we're looking for land, we're looking for a good barn, we're willing to, you know, make some compromises on, on the house and, and our living situation to get what we want on those other aspects. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point with those compromises because I, I know mm -hmm. I talk to a lot of people and they, they have that list that's a mile long of the things that they want uh -huh. and then right. they will never, ever find that place in their budget, like ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And even... I mean, we knew we knew we had the birds and we were going to get goats kind of either way. But part of that is also like if you haven't locked into a kind of livestock, you can get the right livestock. Like, you know, I know people who farm really rocky land that you wouldn't think would be that workable. But, you know, goats love rocky terrain and things like that. So you can kind of make anything work depending on what you're willing to compromise on. So it's good when you're looking for a place to have a few things that you know are sort of, I need these things, but to be willing to, you know, be bendable on, on the rest of it. Yeah, absolutely. So now you, you mentioned that you, you have uh, an animal that's really near and dear to my heart, which is geese. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not something that a lot of people get into. What, what made <laughs> you get into geese? So I do remember I actually did have geese for a while growing up and I remember my best friend had geese as well so they weren't quite as foreign to me I guess as to somebody else but when we were ordering chicks I remember my husband's son saying hey we should get a couple geese too and I was just like okay <laughs> it wasn't really a, a big thought out process but when we actually got the goslings that kind of changed everything and geese are just um they're much more emotional than a lot of other livestock and certainly than other birds um they imprint on you as goslings so they'll follow you around and you know ducklings can do that too but they're particularly charming and insistent and uh you know as grown geese geese have this amazing parenting instinct where they'll kind of adopt uh you know they adopted our ducklings last year the entire flock adopts adopts a gosling if you know one goose hatches them so they have this wonderful 
sort of parenting instinct. And also they form these like bonded pairs. So just watching them interact with each other and watching that sort of emotional intelligence uh, change them from being kind of like just another animal on the farm to being uh, one that was particularly, particularly special to me. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely felt, fell in love with geese right away. Now, beyond that, though, for a farm and for people who aren't familiar with them, like kind of what what do you have geese for? Like, why would you have a goose? Yeah, the primary purpose of our geese on our farm is as sort of predator protection and as alarm bells. Um, So we have 18 geese at the moment, which is a lot. And... um, that large of a flock just serves as a general deterrent. So they may not actively chase away um, a predator, but anything is really going to think twice about approaching a flock of that big of birds and it's a flock that size. Um, there are other ways you can use geese as, as guardian birds. Um, if you get only one or two, sometimes they'll imprint on your chickens and they actually have like a more sort of aggressive, I want to protect my flock of chickens kind of instinct. Ours don't have that, but you can use them that way. Um, But even if uh, you aren't actively uh, seeking out them being a a guardian animal, you still have this wonderful like alarm system where anytime anything is a little off or they see, you know, somebody approaching the farm or something, they're going to honk about it. You're going to know something's going on. So you have a, a chance to react. And quite frankly, um, we laugh about it, but a lot of people have a, uh, a fear of geese or some sort of traumatizing memory of, <laughs> of a goose from their childhood. So they're actually quite good guards for people. You know, a stranger's not just going to walk up to a farm with a, a big flock of geese. Um, so they serve as general alarm protection from all sorts of predators <laughs> that way. Um, I do also sell goose eggs and also consume goose eggs. Um, geese lay seasonally from February through till about June. Um, so it's a pretty short laying season, but their eggs are really big. They're about equivalent to about two to three chicken eggs. And uh, they have a really large yolk and they are thicker in general. They're more similar to a duck egg than a chicken egg, but they're still a little bit different and certainly a little bit bigger even than that, um, which makes them particularly good for batters, uh, making pasta, uh, things like that. So they're particularly desirable for, uh, for baking. Um, So we have geese for the guarding and the eggs. Um, Geese can also be used for like weeding uh, in orchards and vineyards, not so much in a garden because they will eat like most green vegetation. But if they're around like small trees or or vines, they can be really effective weeding animals as well. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with everything you said. I mean, (laughs) they they have become my favorite animal on our farm. Uh Yeah, such personalities. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So, but beyond the geese, what else do you do at your farm? Yeah, so we also have, um, we have a few laying hens. We don't have that many right now, um, but still a small flock of laying hens and a small flock of uh, laying ducks. Um, We have a a medium-sized flock of guinea fowl, which we use just for uh, controlling the ticks because we have pretty large fields all around the, the barn and the house. So they're for controlling the tick population. Um, and then we do have goats. We have 
I just got two new goats, so I have to get used to saying that we have 15 goats. Um, and they are mostly Nigerian dwarfs, and they are for milk. At this point, they are just for our own personal milk consumption, um, both just for day-to-day -day use, but I also freeze some and, and make it into soap and uh, make a lot of desserts as well. That's kind of my favorite <laughs> thing to do with the goat's milk. Um, but yeah, dairy goats. The goats are also useful for helping clear back brush and things like that. We have pretty extensive old New England stone walls on our property, so the goats will eat back brambles and and other things along those stone walls so they kind of serve a dual purpose and then last summer we added two pigs um, and uh, our intent is eventually to breed them um, but their sort of primary purpose is as basically uh, rototillers so we have a, a large area of land that was logged and then kind of left so there's you know stumps and you know, it's just, it's not ready to be a field yet, um, but it's not completely woods anymore. And so we rotate the pigs through that and they will uh, root around and turn over the soil and make it more workable. They'll even like root around stumps that, you know, might be really difficult for you to get out using just manpower. They'll root around those and then you can pull them out fairly easily. Um, so they will work around, it's really like a 20 plus acre area that they have to <laughs> to keep them busy for the next few years and they do that during the summer and during the winter they stay in the fenced in area that is my vegetable garden so they also rototill that and they leave behind all their droppings and everything so i don't have to worry about adding fertilizer or anything um, when i'm ready to plant in the spring that's awesome <laughs> i mean because you know i think everybody always dreams right of having that integrated homestead and mm -hmm. farm that has sort of the animals helping with the vegetable production and having mm -hmm. them kind of help you manage the land. And it seems like that, that plays a big part of how you're approaching things. Yeah. And that's definitely in our decision-making. I mean, I would love to have all the animals here and we've talked once in a while, we talk about like cows or sheep or something, but the real decision-making factor is if they can really serve a a purpose in helping us restore and work this land so you know pigs for example we talked about pigs for a few years and it was like we'd like to have them but you know we aren't big meat eaters and what exactly are we going to do with them and then we actually had a forest ranger come and take a look at this area that was logged and he was like pigs would be perfect for this and then that was kind of our oh okay here's a use for them in addition to uh just a traditional single purpose use like meat or just being a pet so they have this you know multi multi-faceted use on our farm mm. so beyond that i know another thing that you do a lot on your farm is right yeah <laughs> talk to me about that like because i think oftentimes people think oh you know i'd love to live in the middle of nowhere and work on a book like so, so, so <laughs> what do you do like how does that work for you well it's it's definitely not as easy like there's not as much time for it as um i would hope and i feel like there's less and less time like i have to carve out time for it very specifically at this point um the more animals i have the <laughs> less time i have for writing but yeah, when I was, um, so I was homeschooled as a kid and my mom put a really big importance on writing uh, in general and like our homeschool curriculum. And then when I went to college, that was primarily what I was studying was English. Um, so it was kind of 
just it was like a natural instinct to me to write about things if I was thinking about them. So I kind of had that in my brain already. And when I uh, started researching geese, cause we were getting these geese, I realized there really wasn't very much out there about them. So I started writing, you know, once we got them about the various experiences I was having, um, raising them and what I was learning. And that sort of slowly built to so there were, you know, a few magazine articles. And then I had the uh, first book, which is the Modern Homesteader's Guide to Keeping Geese. And um, after that came the second book, <laughs> uh, which is uh, So You Want to Be a Modern Homesteader, which I actually wrote. Uh, it was the first winter. Yeah, it was the first winter on this property. Um, so definitely like i think the chapter on heating with wood is particularly extensive specifically because that was what i was doing when i wasn't writing the book was stoking the fire um but yeah it's definitely it's been a wonderful way to share the experiences and i really think it's important to uh educate people who maybe have a very idealistic vision of what it would be like to live out uh, out in the country and you know make sure people are prepared before they make a leap that isn't sustainable you know i hate to see uh folks either sort of dreams just not coming true or you know properties animals uh not thriving uh because people weren't prepared so anything i can help to do to educate people i certainly want to do and it's also just an enjoyable experience i spend any free time i have that i'm not writing or taking care of the farm um just sort of watching the animals and so then turning that into writing like there's so many so many wonderful personalities and relationships if you just sit and watch for a little while and I, I like writing about those um, but I do have to be very very disciplined about carving out time for it because it does fall by the wayside unfortunately easily <laughs> yeah I know I know that feeling <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> you, you brought up a good point there about you know people having unrealistic expectations and, and mm -hmm. as you're talking to folks who are, who are considering kind of making the leap to, to a homestead or a farm what are some of those preconceived notions that you often see that you kind of most aggressively try to bust mm -hmm. um well, I think, I think it's easy for people to take on too much too fast. And even we even fell, I think, a little bit prey to that with, uh, with this project where we worked really hard for three years in restoring the, uh, the land, the barn and the house. And then last summer, it, we just kind of felt like we didn't have the energy to keep going at the pace we'd been going. Um, and then we kind of realize, well, we don't have to go at that pace <laughs> all the time. You know, it's okay to go at a, a slightly, a slightly slower pace once in a while. Um, so there is kind of a pressure, and I think uh, I think social media feeds into this a little bit as well. Of you know, have the biggest garden, grow all the fruits and vegetables, and have all the animals, and do it all at once, um, and first of all you don't need to do that it's perfectly fine to just have a vegetable garden and focus on that for a couple of years um but just knowing if you are jumping into that um knowing the how much time that's going to take and you know the sort of day-to-day -day grind of morning chores and evening chores and it's not all running through the fields with the goats it's also you know feeding them in day-to-day -day care so yeah just kind of 
the reality of, of almost the monotony of it once in a while um, is important. And then of course the, uh, the financial aspect of it, of, you know, return on investment, especially with animals is small <laughs> if, if it exists. So keeping animals, you know, I was uh, posting today about uh, how a lot of people have been buying chickens um, to become more self-reliant and particularly they've been buying, you know, baby chicks. And that was a story in the New York times over the weekend about uh, American stress buying all the baby chicks. And it's like, so you don't have to go to the grocery store to buy eggs now, but you do have to go to the feed store to buy chick feed. And those chicks are not going to start producing eggs until fall. And even then, you know, chickens are a little bit seasonal in their laying. And so just the reality is and you got weather. Yeah, and exactly. It's and cleaning coops. It's, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's not just a magic. I have the chicken. Now every day I have a fresh egg um, or I have the goat. Now I don't have to worry about milk anymore. There's way more behind it. And it seems obvious. And it especially seems obvious to me now that I've been here for a few years. And so it's just part of my daily routine, but I think it is actually easy to overlook when you're first uh, envisioning what, what country living might be like. Yeah. It, it, it's yeah. It's, it, I think there's a lot of truth in that. I think the, the other thing I would say though is, and mm -hmm. you're right about the monotony, like mm -hmm. the, okay, every morning I'm filling up my water buckets every right. morning. I'm letting everybody in. every night. I got to chase the ducks. It, like, you know, it's like a, a very standard set of rituals you have. There is sort of a beauty in that too, because like mm -hmm. it gives you such a great time to think and reflect and observe. And, and so I, I don't know, I find that the monotony is tough on one hand, but it's mm -hmm. kind of awesome on the other. Yeah, no, I mean, there are definitely days when I would rather not, especially in the middle of winter, go out and do the same chores <laughs> every day. Uh, but I do think, I agree, I think I do some of my best thinking when I'm doing chores. And I think I gain... Um, uh, like a sense of peace doing them. There's something to be said for like doing the same thing every day. Like, you know, right now being a particularly stressful time, but I know that, you know, six o'clock I <laughs> go feed the goats and then again in the evening. And so, yeah, no, there's definitely a, a comfort and a, and a beauty to the monotony as well. Yeah. So for, for somebody who who is thinking about making the leap, especially, you know, given kind of the, the broader external climate right now and, and people mm -hmm. feeling kind of particularly in cities, very insecure, mm -hmm. like what, what would be the, the biggest thing that somebody could do to put them in the direction towards a lifestyle like yours? Mm -hmm. um, I think, uh, I think, uh, First of all, doing your due diligence and research is really important and making based on that research, like the, the right decisions. So not just randomly getting, for example, chickens, um, but really thinking about what my property, my lifestyle can sustain. Um, and then sort of focusing on that and doing that to really the best of your abilities. So instead of doing a bunch of things, I guess I'd say, yeah, instead of doing a bunch of things more halfway, you know, really focusing on one or two things and doing those the, the best that you can. Um, if you're in a city and, you know, all you can do is have like some tomato plants on the patio or something, I still think that's a great first step. Um, and I think that more folks should do that. Um, so you shouldn't feel like, oh, well, I can't do it all the way. 
um, you should just try to embrace the uh, the elements that you uh, you can do, um, and in the same sort of vein, finding the things about it that give you the most joy. Because I think the other thing that I see happen um, in folks who get burned out on the lifestyle is taking on all these things that they think they should be doing uh, instead of really focusing on the things that are like why they started farming that really excited them. Um, and that's why like the animals are important to me because those are the things that make me smile every day. And yeah, maybe I don't need quite as many goats as I have, but I know that those are the things that get me excited about it. And then that makes you know anything else that maybe is more of a chore uh, seem less of a chore. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. I really personally got a lot out of it. Uh, and also, just so you guys know, after the sort of formal interview ended, I actually peppered Kirsten with like a whole bunch of comments, uh, questions, I should say, about geese. Like, uh, I'm in the process of trying to get one of my geese to uh, actually uh, sit on her nest and hatch out some eggs. And so she was giving me some coaching on that. That might end up seeing the light of day in a YouTube video in the not too distant future. But uh, yeah, it was it was really great uh, getting to know getting to know Kirsten. And uh, if you guys want to learn more about what she's doing, um, you can check her out on Instagram. I'll leave a link for the Hostel Valley uh, Instagram feed, and also uh, Kirsten's website where you can find information about our books and all sorts of other projects. Uh, really interesting stuff that she's got going on. So so I encourage you guys to check it out. And as always, if you want to learn more about Goldshaw Farm and what we're doing here, uh, check us out on YouTube. We put out videos twice a week. Um, you know, lately we've been talking a lot about our birds, building things for our birds, really getting into kind of all of the projects that I talked about in our last podcast episode and uh, made a lot of progress. And uh, I might actually do another episode real soon where I, I give you guys kind of an update on where things are going with that plan and like what's snapping into place, what's not, what's been thrown off course because of uh, the, the things going on in the world we live in right now. I'll, I'll, I'll try to give you guys a rundown of all of that really soon. But if, you, if you're impatient and you want to know, be sure to check us out on YouTube. Well, that's it. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. That is all we got for this week. I will be back again real soon. Until then, be sure to write pleasant reviews about us on the various podcast platforms, wherever you're getting your podcasts. Tell your friends and family all about us and the, the awesome, awesome work we do and that we're not too full of ourselves. And I'll be back real soon with another episode. But until then, Mr. Keith Pierce, please play our theme song. It's got a soul, this hero farm. It falls asleep. Inside my arms, we work the fields under the stars. The love is here at Goldshop Farms. A city life yet had its charms. But we would dream of the fields under the stars. I fall asleep inside its arms. The love is here at Goldshop Farms. Love is here at Gold Shop Farms.